Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth, chapter 3. You can find this on page 308 in the Pew Bible, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version, which is the same translation you have in the Pew there. Uh, Last week, we looked at the first half of uh, chapter 3. We saw uh, God's work there in uh, Ruth coming before uh, Boaz, this uh, wealthy landowner in the community, and uh, seeking his help. And uh, so we'll focus our attention on the second half of the chapter today, but I will read the entire chapter just to remind you, we left you on kind of a cliffhanger, what's going to happen uh, with Ruth who makes this request. This is the word of God. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly, uncovered his feet and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself and there was a woman lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. And and that is that word, kinsman, redeemer. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also, he said, bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, is that you, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six ephahs of barley he gave me. For he said to me, do not go empty handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. And there will end the reading of God's word. May God bless his word to us as we consider it together. In the Bible, we probably have no uh, greater contrast between two people Uh, than the sisters, Mary and Martha. Martha is a very practical, busy, doing 
things, and Mary is uh, content to sit at the feet of Jesus. And you remember what Jesus uh, says to Martha uh, when Martha is uh, running around uh, preparing the meal and complains that uh, uh, her sister Mary is not doing her fair share. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried. Uh, You are anxious about many things, but Mary has chosen that better part. And um, a little bit of rebuke to Mary. And uh, now if if we step back from that, we realize, right, that uh, making food is important. Eating is good. Eating is important. Making the food is important. Uh, There have been people scurrying around uh, this morning getting the food ready for our meal here and then setting up for the, the meal downstairs. So if that doesn't happen, uh, it's going to be a lot of disappointment after the service. So that, that is important. That's important to do those things. It's important to clean up afterward. And uh, there is a place for uh, activity and initiative. But Mary reminds us that there's also a place for waiting upon the Lord, for sitting patiently for waiting for the Lord to work, for listening to him. And that actually what is needed is not you either need to be one or the other, but what is needed is balance. And, uh, and, and what we have here in chapter 3 of Ruth is a helpful balance because last week we talked about the, the boldness of this plan, the boldness of Ruth, a poor foreigner to go to Boaz in the middle of the night like this and to basically put all her cards on the table, to ask him uh, to come and deliver her. She was a risk taker. She took initiative. And there's a place for that, for sure. But there's also a place for waiting upon the Lord, for recognizing there are things we can control and there are things we cannot control. And it's no good us trying to be the Holy Spirit or try to do the work that only God can do, that there are places where we have to sit back and patiently wait upon the Lord. And so this is the challenge for you, right? Because your personality probably moves you toward one extreme or the other. You're one of these people that runs around like a chicken with its head cut off, just doing, 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 fixing, fixing, organizing. Um, That's one extreme. But the other extreme is, is that we're too passive. And we just sit back like, oh, let go and let God. You know, I heard that somewhere. Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Well, Uh, I'm not sure that there's any place where uh, we're supposed to just be passive in our lives. And so that's the challenge. How do we have the proper balance? And I think as we look at this passage, we see that Jesus is the Redeemer, and he is able, willing, and committed to receiving you and in your need. And so we need to learn to approach him, but we also need to learn to trust him and to wait patiently upon him recognizing that in in certain things, he is the only one who can work. And so if you want to follow along, there's an outline in the bulletin uh, that has that main point in it and then shows you uh, where we're going. Children, if you want to draw a picture, uh, I'd like you to draw a picture of what what thing does Boaz give to Ruth that is very helpful, that is most helpful in this passage, okay? So I'm going to come back to you later and see if you have identified that, that thing, that helpful thing that Boaz has given to Ruth. Well, the first thing I want us to see here is that coming to the Redeemer can seem like a risky 
proposition. We talked about this in a lot of detail last week, so I won't go over it again here, uh, just to say that uh, coming to a man that you don't know very well in the middle of the night uh, in any culture uh, is, is not an easy thing to do, and certainly not uh, in this culture here. Uh, this has been uh, so confusing to some commentators that they have actually accused Ruth of immorality here and doing uh, evil that good may result. And I want to assure you that that's not uh, what's happening. That's reading something into the story that's not there. Uh, this whole arrangement has been um, uh, derived so that Ruth can get alone with Boaz and make this request without other people hearing it. And it's not easy to have an audience like that that wouldn't be observed by someone. And so Ruth comes alone, uh, comes to Boaz and asks him basically to fulfill the role of the kinsman redeemer. You see this in verse 9 when she says, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take me, take your maidservant under your wing. Or some translations are spread your garment over me. And this is a euphemism for marry me. I mean, so uh, again, a, a radical thing to do in that culture. This is a woman coming and asking for him to marry her. And to do that under the provisions of the law, right? She says in verse 9, for you are a close relative. Uh, that's the word kinsman redeemer. You are a relative and you can come in and take the place of the dead men in this family and raise up offspring to keep this family alive. Now, um, I'm not sure if any of you are Jeopardy fans. I'm really not a Jeopardy fan, but I went when I was in college my senior year, my roommates watched it religiously. So I would come back from the dining hall and I would, I, whether I wanted to or not, I was listening to what was happening on Jeopardy. One thing I know is that you get to the end and there's the, the final Jeopardy question and you have to sort of wager a percentage of your, uh, your money at that point. And so that, that's a big decision. If you're in the lead, uh, then you try to wager just enough that you could cover and keep your lead without risking everything. Uh, and if you're way behind, it's pretty obvious you just have to risk it all on this last question. And what's, what, what happens not that often, but every once in a while, is someone who's in the lead bets a ton of it anyways and then loses it all right at the end. And they, they sort of risk, put at risk what they don't need to put at risk. And I want you to realize here that Ruth is, is taking a significant risk here. One commentator says this is, this is Ruth burning her passport, uh, so to speak. Like, uh, this is it. Like, if this doesn't work, the fallout from this could be pretty uh, significant for her. So she is risking. But what I want you to realize is that she doesn't actually need to do this. Uh, do you see his response to her in verse 10? Uh, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter. You've shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And this suggests that Ruth actually had options, uh, that she had, uh, over several months, demonstrated herself to be a person who worked hard, who was faithful, and that she actually had options. She didn't have to go to this older man, uh, this particular wealthy man, uh, just to find a husband. So what is she doing? Uh, what she is doing is she is specifically showing love and kindness, as he said. That's that word hesed we talked about, to Naomi. 
We, we, we look at this and we think, oh, well, Boaz is impressed. She's showing kindness to Boaz. She's showing kindness to Naomi because the only way Naomi is going to get descendants, offspring, to keep the family name alive is if Ruth marries a kinsman redeemer, someone willing to raise up children for the dead man. If she just goes and marries anyone she can, someone younger, uh, someone even wealthier, uh, she can take care of Ruth, but she can't take care of this need that Naomi has. And this is why he says your kindness here is even greater than your kindness at the beginning. What was her kindness at the beginning? She stayed with Naomi and came back. And now here she is willing to risk everything so that Naomi can be cared for. And that's really, uh, really profound. It's also uh, very much the case for us. When we approach the Lord, um, there's a sense of risk there at times. If we want forgiveness, if we want our sins to be cleansed, if we want eternal life, we recognize there's only one hope for that. That is in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. And may, we may act like, well, there are other options here. I can get this done other ways. I can, I can read a self-help book and figure out my problems on my own. Uh, I can try to organize my life in such a way that I, I deal with these sins on my own. And, uh, and it's tempting for us to think there are other avenues available for us. And we are, we are reluctant to bow before the Lord, to submit ourselves to him, to say to him, we're helpless without you. We need you uh, as our savior, or, or I need you to help me deal with this particular challenge or problem. And I, I've talked to people before who said, I, I'm, I, I'm afraid I would have to give up a part of my life if I became a Christian, if I came. I'm afraid of what he will ask me to do uh, if I come to him. And so we recognize that even for us, coming to the Redeemer can seem like a risky proposition. But we see, secondly, that God gives you encouragements to come to approach the Redeemer. So Naomi and Ruth are willing to take this risk, and, and, and they have reasons to be optimistic about Boaz, because Boaz has already shown himself to be fully qualified to help Ruth. Remember back in chapter 2, when she showed up in his field, he noticed her. He took an interest in her. He has the money, the resources to help provide for the family. He respects God's law. He is a man that is gracious, compassionate, and is fully qualified. He is able to help. They also know that he is inclined to help Ruth. He gave Ruth, he brought Ruth to his table and fed her. He arranged for her to follow along his, with his servants so that she could pick up the grain more easily. He's shown a heart that's interested in her. So Boaz is not only able, he seems willing to help Ruth. And he also has some level of responsibility. Again, Ruth said in verse 9, you are a kinsman redeemer. Now we have to be careful here. Boaz doesn't have to help Ruth. You notice what he says there. He says, well, there's actually another relative. We'll see if he wants to help. I mean, so yeah, it's in the law and yeah, it's a provision, but clearly a person could say, no, I, I can't do it for various reasons. Well, we're going to read in the next chapter that someone in fact does say no. Sorry to ruin the story for you, but he is going to say no. So, so Boaz doesn't have to do this. And yet there is a certain responsibility he has by virtue of his relationship to these people. And this, again, it's meant to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ is 100% able to meet your needs, whatever they are. He is able to redeem you. He is able to receive you and minister his grace to you. And the reason he's able to do that is because he was 100% human being and at the same time, 100% God. He's the only one that has the resources of heaven available to you and at the same time is literally one of us. He is a human being. Uh, Philippians 2, 5 and following says it this way. These, all these cross-references are in your outline there. Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. That is the holy God coming as a human being. And we sang about that earlier in the service. He calls us his brother. Uh, he calls us his brothers and, uh, and, and, and relates to us as family members. So he's able to help us. He's also willing to help us. He invites us to come for him. He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He invites us to come to him. So Jesus is able to help you. He's willing to help you, but he also has a, a responsibility to help you. Now, again, we have to be careful here. I'm, I'm not saying God owes you anything. But what I am saying is God, Jesus Christ has entered into a covenant with God the Father. And he has already promised he is going to deliver his people. And, and, and that is a, a very helpful thing for us to remember. I put an example of this in there in your outline, John 6, 39. This is, the, this is Jesus speaking. This is the will of the Father who sent me that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. You see that? God the Father has given a people to God the Son, and God the Son says those people will be eternally saved. So there is a sense of commitment that Jesus has already made uh, to receive his people. Now, now children, if you're hurt, uh, who, do you, who do you run to? Uh, we had a lot, of, a lot of, if your hair gets pulled, it's taking a random example. Uh, who do you go to uh, for help? Who do you go to for help? Oh, we're, we're all busily working. Nobody's willing to say. Who do you go to for help? The sibling who, who pulled your hair? No. Oh, are you saying to God? Well, even before you go to God, you might go to, a, is there a human being you might go to? Go ahead. Okay, mom or dad. And my guess is mostly mom, um, because moms are very sympathetic when people get their hair pulled. But, but think about it. You know your mom is able to help you, like she's going to comfort you. She's got what's needed to help out. And she's willing to help you. You know she wants to help you. And, and you know at some level, deep down inside, that this is what moms do. Uh, this, is, this is a mom thing to do. So all of this encourages you to come uh, to your mom for help. And this is what uh, we are being reminded of here, that despite the risks and the apparent uh, obstacles to this, um, the Redeemer is, 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 at, is, is drawing you to come to him and showing you he's able, he's willing, he's committed to receiving you. And Jesus says in Mark 10, 45, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life 
a ransom for many. That's why he came. That's who he is, and that's a great encouragement for us to approach him. Well, thirdly, then, if you come to him, we see here that the Redeemer, in fact, will graciously receive you. Now, last week, we talked about the fact that standing behind this risky plan is their confidence in the sovereignty of God, that, in other words, they were seeing God at work, and they trusted God's sovereignty. But I think the other thing we didn't mention last week that they're confident of is the character of Boaz. Like they, they know that they can approach this man and whatever, he's going to deal with them in a good, compassionate, righteous way. And they have every confidence that Ruth, in fact, will be safe uh, when she approaches him. And of course, we're not disappointed. We look at his response in verse 10. Blessed are you, of the Lord, my daughter. He recognizes what she's doing. She is sacrificing for her mother-in-law, and he praises her for that. He honors what she's doing. In verse 11, uh, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people in my town know that you are a virtuous woman. And that word virtuous, some of your translations say noble. Uh, Some of them say a worthy woman. That is the same word that's in Proverbs chapter 31 of the the noble woman, the virtuous woman, the the woman of noble character in that last chapter. Um, Christopher Wright commenting on this says something interesting. He says, in the entire Bible, only Ruth, the Moabite, the foreigner, the poor woman who has neither money nor standing, the gleaner, only she is given this title that is so rich in meaning, a worthy woman. Isn't that interesting? Like even in Proverbs 31, it doesn't give a name. It just describes this wonderful person. And then Ruth, which is the book that follows Proverbs in the Hebrew Bible, says, here it is right here. Here's an actual living embodiment of the the woman of noble character. And so he recognizes that and he praises her for that. And he treats her with, uh, with respect and takes her request seriously and with serious consideration of God's law. He says in uh, verses 12 and 13, yes, it is true that I am a close relative, but there's actually a closer relative, and we haven't heard about this person yet. And he says, uh, stay this night, and I will check with him and find out if he is going to do the work of the kinsman redeemer. And uh, this suggests at least some previous thinking about this in Boaz's mind, that he's already worked out who is the closest relative, and he's going to follow the law and, uh, and, and go through the proper channels to make sure everybody knows he's not trying to take advantage of this situation. I don't know if you've ever eaten a really big meal, maybe like after your Thanksgiving dinner, and uh, laid down to take a nap. Um, when I was growing up, we, we would all just lay down on the floor uh, under uh, my parents' table, lots of big bodies, you know. And I can tell you for sure uh, that if someone woke me up and said, hey, will you marry me, uh, I would not have a coherent answer for that question. Um, I would not be ready to discuss that or really think about that very much at all. And it is interesting here that Boaz, like, he's, he's ready to go right out of the gate And uh, she says, uh, spread your wing over me. And he says, uh, okay, uh, we'll we'll take care of this. And I've got to talk to another guy first. 
So all that by way of saying, this is not the first time he had thought this through. He already had worked this all out in his mind, which suggests that in, 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 in addition to receiving her graciously, like he wants her to come ask him. This is exactly what he was hoping was going to happen. And what a, what a wonderful picture of our Savior who is able and willing and committed to helping us but really wants us to come to him. He's not reluctant at all. He wants us to come. He wants us to come. Uh, speaking here about the Lord, it says in Matthew 12, verse 20, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench till he sends forth justice to victory. That's a quotation from Isaiah 42, but it's applied to Jesus. And this is how Jesus receives his people. What, what it, children, you know what a bruised reed is? It, it's sort of like, um, say, if your dad ever buys flowers for your mom. Uh, and uh, after those flowers have sat around for a while, like they start to get really droopy and uh, they're not very strong. They don't stand up straight anymore. And uh, Jesus is saying even the droopy flower that comes to him, like what do we do with that? We break it in half and throw it in the trash. And he's saying even a bruised, weak reed like that, he's going to receive it and not break it. He's gentle. And this is how the Lord responds to those who come to him. And that should be a great encouragement to you. I've talked to people who said, a pastor, will you pray for me? I just, I don't know how to pray. And uh, I say, it doesn't matter if you know how to pray. You're talking to God. And just talk to God um, the best you can, recognizing, yes, he's not just a big person. He's something uh, totally different than we are. But God wants us to come to him through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, he will receive you. Fourthly, we see here too that our hope comes from the solemn promise of the Redeemer. All right, children, so what did you draw in your picture? What is it that he gave to Ruth that was so important? Anyone? All the way, yes, Augie? Hope and a little grain, is that what you said? Just hope. Wow, that's beautiful. Uh, it is. He did give her hope. Um, and so I'm going to see your picture of drawing hope. <laughs> I'm guess. oh, you haven't drawn it yet. Okay, you're waiting. I'm guessing some of you drew grain, right? Because he physically gave her grain. And uh, I think this was an important part of what he was doing. He asked her uh, to open up her shawl. You see how he... Uh, he guards her reputation, right? He says, let's not let anyone know she was here and uh, we'll give her grain to take away in case someone does see her. She's obviously, she was working. Um, so it's a gift. I think my translation says six ephahs. I think that would be like 80 or 90 pounds. I'm guessing ephahs is a guess here by the translation. It's probably just a measure shorter than that. Uh, the point is uh, not that Ruth was strong. I'm sure she was strong, but um, th th it's a significant gift. And uh, so she goes away uh, with this gift, and she goes away uh, with confidence. But that is not the main thing, because the reason the gift is there, it's not just to, 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 to communicate to Naomi, hey, uh, I've received Ruth, 
and I'm working on this. It is a token. It is a token of something greater. And that's what he says uh, in verse 13. And I put a, the ESV version of this in your outline because I like the way it translated a little better. Remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you good, talking about the other guy. But if not, if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So do you see that he has promised her he will take care of this and he's sworn an oath in doing it. He has made a solemn vow to her. I will redeem you as the Lord lives. And so, Augie, I think hope is a good answer, but I was thinking of this promise that the reason hope revives is because she goes home with this promise from him that he is going to take care of it. And what's interesting is then this sack of grain becomes a token of the promise. And that's interesting for us to think about because the Bible tells us that God gives us tokens of his promises to us and how hopeful and helpful those things are. One example, I gave you 2 Corinthians 1, verses 21 and 22. Now he who establishes us with you is in Christ, has anointed us in God, who has also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So the Holy Spirit working in your heart, that's a, that's a gift of Christ as a token of the promise that he's going to redeem you. Or how about Romans 8.32? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see what Paul's saying there? Look at the cross. The cross is a token of God's promise. He keeps his promise, and he is going to redeem you. And you can look in that to increase your hope in the promise. Or how about the sacraments? The sacraments are called signs and seals of the covenant of grace. And every time we come to the table, every time we see a baptism, we're being reminded of the reality of what God is doing for us and what he's promised. And this is really important. I, I along with another, uh, many other uh, fellows and a few ladies in this congregation have been celebrating birthdays in the last few days. And every birthday we get closer to the end of our lives in this world. And we need to know that when we leave this world, that our Redeemer is going to redeem us, that we are going to see our Redeemer with our eyes, and we are going to be saved. And Jesus has given you that promise, but with that promise, he's given you uh, visible tokens of the reality of that promise. And you experience that in the Spirit's working in your life as you reflect on what Christ did at the cross and as you come uh, to celebrate the sacraments. So your hope comes from the promise of your Redeemer. So finally then, this passage encourages us to wait patiently upon our Redeemer and to trust him to work. And we will say more about this next time. But look at what Naomi tells Ruth in verse 18. She said, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest 
until he has concluded the matter this day. And that word, sit still, in some of your translations is, is, is wait, but it's actually the word for dwell. It, it's interesting. It's like live here. Live here in a position of waiting upon him because, yes, you, you did what you could do. You, you went and you, you asked, but what needs to happen now is something only he can do. And we have to learn to wait on the Lord to do it. This is the time to sit still. And that is interesting because the chapter starts with radical action. Right? There is a place for initiative and acting. And the chapter ends with radical inaction. Wait upon the Lord. And this is the beautiful balance that we have to come to. That Yes, God... God wants you to be active at times, but God also wants you to do that always in a spirit of waiting upon him and trusting him to work. There's so many promises in the Bible of blessing for those who wait patiently on the Lord. And I put just a couple in your outline. Psalm 27, which we're going to sing in a moment. Verse 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait. I say on the Lord. So that patience actually is one of the means of building our faith. Or Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. These wonderful promises of renewal and strength and courage that come from our learning to wait on God to work. So this should be your goal and my goal. Not to be people who sit around passively and do nothing. People who are willing to take initiative when God puts something before us, but at the same time be people who wait patiently upon the Lord, trusting in his promise, knowing that it is his work that accomplishes all that we need. It's interesting, the, the author of the, one of the commentaries that I'm reading on Ruth, who just wrote it, it's the newest one out, is a man named Christopher Wright, who's a retired elder uh, in the RP Church in Cambridge, who was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease about 20 years ago, very young. And so waiting on the Lord uh, doesn't mean just a couple of days sometimes, or a week, or a year, it can mean decades of learning to live, to dwell in that space of waiting on the Lord. And here he just wrote, I think it's his first book, as a man 20 years into a battle with Parkinson's disease. Uh, this is sometimes how we have to live. Um, we do what God calls us to do. We come to a Savior who's able and willing and committed to receive us. But we do so trusting in his promise and waiting upon him in faith, knowing that he will work according to his good purposes. Let's pray and let's give him thanks. Father, we thank you for this beautiful little book of your scripture. It really is amazing how 
much theology is, is packed into such a small book. And we thank you, Lord, for how we see so much of the character of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Redeemer that's presented for us here. Uh, someone who has the resources, someone who's a near relative, someone who's compassionate, who's inclined and, and wants to help, someone who, in fact, has thought it all through and is, is eager uh, to be approached. Lord, one who uh, gives a promise that can be taken uh, and believed, and one who does accomplish all that he says he will. Uh, we thank you for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is able to save us, who's willing to save us, who's committed to save us, who is welcoming uh, our coming to him. And we pray that we would love him more and that you would give us the grace we need, Lord, to be decisive and to act with initiative when you call us to do that, but then to always live, to dwell in the space of being waiting upon you, knowing that you are the one who has to work in, the, in our lives and in the world to accomplish your good purposes. I pray for each one of us as we seek to apply these things in the coming week. For we ask this all in the name of our great Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And now we'll respond back to the Lord by singing his praise from Psalm 27D. This is one of the places that uh, it calls, the scripture calls us to wait upon the Lord and the blessing that we have from doing that. So if you turn to Psalm 27, Selection D, let's stand and sing our praise to the Lord and then remain standing for the benediction. <laughs> 